It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 124, King Solomon and the Naval Expeditions. I can only think of a few times in world history where a nation became a world sea power overnight within a generation. There was Kaiser's Germany, which took the French funds from the Treaty of Versailles after the Franco-Prussian War and built an entire fleet of dreadnoughts. There was Peter the Great of Russia, who fascinated himself with their British fleets, and desired a warm-weather port to build a navy. Yet this took generations until it projected any sense of world power. But it was questionably the Japanese who became a world sea power overnight with the destruction of this Russian fleet at the Battle of Shishima. There was ancient Rome who was forced to ward off aggressive Carthage in the Punic Wars. I'm sure there are a few more. The French and the English and even the United States took generations to get there. But Israel, around 1000 BC, became a world naval empire in less than a generation, to the amazement of all. When I first read about Solomon building ocean-going fleets, conducting three-year trading voyages in the Mediterranean, and sent fleets to India, this achievement was absolutely and totally astounding. And being a junkie for naval history, since I grew up reading the Horatio Hornblower books and later the Patrick O'Brien series, I found myself in awe of the accounts of Solomon's trading fleets. When I read that Josephus stated he went to India, I was floored. Building a world-class fleet in the space of a generation is an incredibly rare thing throughout history, achieved only by brilliant engineering, technical expertise, and heavy investiture in energy, time, and wealth. In this episode, we discuss Solomon and his naval expeditions and his friendship with Hiram, king of Tyre. The Bible coverage of Solomon's naval experience is limited. There's basically two tiny sections in 1 Kings and 2 Chronicles which document the accounts. 1 Kings 9.26 King Solomon also built ships at Ezion-Geber, which is near Elath in Edom, on the shore of the Red Sea. And Hiram sent his men, sailors who knew the sea, to serve in the fleet with Solomon's men. They sailed to Ophir and brought back 420 talents of gold, which they delivered to King Solomon. 2 Chronicles 9.21 The king had a fleet of trading ships manned by Hiram's servants. Once every three years it returned, carrying gold, silver, and ivory, and apes and baboons. So this is all we have to go on. And if you've been a long-term listener of the podcast, this is where sometimes we park and have a show. Because the mystery and fascination with the near impossible leads to great study and rewards. And it's just a lot of history fun. 
So if we read these verses again, you can glean great data from the statement that Hiram manned Solomon's ships. One can quite easily read that Hiram had men and sailors, but not enough ships for their trading empire. Hiram had expertise, but not the inland markets for his goods as well. He needed a trading partner and wealthy investor in more ships, and he needed someone to assist him with trading with the other side of the world. So what's crazy cool, if you're used to American history, is that Solomon not only built fleets, but he also established a two-ocean navy, one in the Mediterranean, which flowed from the Atlantic Ocean, and one in the Red Sea, which flows to the Indian Ocean. So let's talk about the geopolitical situation in this area of the world. Hiram was the king of Tyre, and Tyre was the world's leading sea-trading city-state. Historians have a lot to say about the Phoenicians and their ancient alphabet and sea-trading empire. There's an abundance of archaeological evidence of their far-ranging trade empire. The word Phoenicians is a term used to describe the sea peoples or those led by the city of Tyre for the sake of this episode. Hiram was a descendant of the kings of Tyre and the world's leader in naval technology and trade and expertise. So we touched on Tyre before, but I've got to consider it further. Think about some of the greatest port cities of our day. New York, Hong Kong, Singapore, London. There's others, of course, but these four are islands. Well, London is the capital of an island nation, but Tyre is just such a city. It's an island. It was not now, but it was an island off the coast of Lebanon. Upon this island, the treasures of the Mediterranean sea trade flowed. It was a loaded city with incredible quantities of goods. One of these goods was Tyrian purple. Found near Tyre was rock snails that secreted a reddish-purple natural dye. This dye was greatly prized in antiquity because it could not easily fade, but instead it appeared to be brighter with weather and sunlight. The color became known as royal purple and signified royalty. Needless to say, this dye brought great wealth to Tyre. In addition, off the coast of Tyre and the mainland was the incredible forest of Lebanon, which supplied the timber for the sailing vessels. And this is the same forest of Lebanon that Solomon got his cedar from. Incredible wealth flowed into this city, and there has been a ton of research and historians speak of the fabled Phoenician trading empire that covered the entirety of the Mediterranean. Even evidence points to trading even beyond Gibraltar around the corner of Africa into the Atlantic. And then there is a mysterious source of tin from the Bronze Age, where most point to the Phoenicians as well going as far as England to fetch the precious metal. So this is a massive trading empire. It's not a power empire or government state as much as a nation bent on trade. It reminds me of Carthage, which has its roots in Tyre, and later Portugal or the Dutch in their golden age because they were more interested in trade than colonization. The Phoenicians traded for everything in the Mediterranean, obtaining precious minerals from modern Spain, pottery from Greece, spices from Egypt, inland food from Israel, and dates and other products from the Babylon and Persia and beyond. The Phoenicians were masters of trade and business experts, extremely wealthy from the art of the business transaction. What appears to have happened is that David's destruction of the balance of power disastrously impacted the current trade markets. In fact, his invasion of his neighbors transferred the stored and accumulated wealth of nations to Jerusalem. 
Overnight, Israel became the world's richest nation and center of world trade. The nations that once had the greatest treasures no longer spent their surplus on trade with Tyre, but sent their surplus as tribute to Jerusalem. Other nations like Egypt and Tyre became faithful allies to Israel and instantly desired trading partnerships. In essence, David's invasion of modern Syria and parts of modern Iraq devastated the stability of the region, shifting its economic structure and created a vacuum. Tyre, who once made millions from its trade with these nations, found itself with great quantities of goods and fewer markets to trade. In order to revitalize its economy, Tyre sought greater ties and business partnerships with the most wealthy of nations, Israel, who filled the vacuum it created. Hiram, being a shrewd businessman, understood where his next fortune was. His next fortune was with David and his future son, Solomon. The Bible covers the relationship between Hiram and Solomon regarding the temple project, but their mutual naval enterprises deserve great attention as well. After Hiram's business dips with the wars of David, it eventually recovers and increases substantially with the Pax Israel instituted by David. Despite Solomon's shortcomings and a few rebellions at the end of his reign, there is peace in his lifetime. In fact, I picture business and trade increasing to such incredible levels, Hiram is out of ships and unable to haul around all the requested goods. The demand for ships was so high, he partnered with Solomon to help him with his expertise to build ships and to crew them. A partnership would bring exponential rewards for both nations. So it was God's blessing of the partnership with a Gentile king, Solomon built a trading fleet crewed by the most able sailors in the world. But not only did Solomon partner with Hiram to build a Mediterranean fleet, but an Indian Ocean fleet to literally go to India, manned by, as well, Hiram's sailors. So here's an interesting thing. I was doing some research, and many historians point to an explosion in naval inventions around 1000 B.C., some attribute the invention of the Byreme, which is a two-decker oared ship to the Phoenicians. I just ponder if Solomon had anything to do with this. They definitely needed the extra cargo room, for the current ships of the time period were oared ships, typically with one deck of oars and a sail or more. Can you just see Solomon saying to Hiram, Um, why don't we make a vessel with two decks? It could transport more. It'd be faster and more stable in the water. Once these trading vessels returned, there must have been bizarre reactions in the streets of Jerusalem. The Bible says that the three-year trading voyages would return with gold, silver, and ivory, and apes, and baboons. And honestly, I've been to way too many zoos in my life. I could just see apes and baboons jumping all over the place. And it must have been a zoo, and Solomon must have loved these apes and monkeys. Funny enough, the NIV Hebrew word for baboon can actually be interpreted peacock, baboon, or ape. There probably isn't that kind of clarity in the Hebrew because these three things are not even close to common in Israel. So for more amusement, picture apes and peacocks and baboons strutting around Jerusalem. It must have been a zoo every three years. I was reading the Action Bible to my five-year-old before bed, and we actually just arrived at this exact scene, and I loved the remarks given in the book. 
The artist portrayed this scene with two men on a shore with ships in the background looking down at a large cage holding peacocks. One man says, peacocks and ivory, what are they good for? And the other man says, when you're as rich as Solomon, things don't have to be useful. Now we arrive at Ophir. It's a real mystery. Where is this Ophir? How did Solomon know of Ophir? And what's up with the gold of Ophir? We start with this. David passed on to his son an inheritance of talents of gold of Ophir. So we know it's not a new thing. Its secret was already known, and someone had already been there to obtain its treasures. The Bible doesn't give the location of Ophir, and there's no cross-reference within the Bible, which I think sometimes the absence of detail reveals even a greater mystery. While researching Ophir, there's a lot of theories. Ethiopia would be a close journey for Solomon and the most practical. There are other theories ranging all over Africa. It's a topic of historic fiction in movies like King Solomon's Mines. But I think we've got to go with Josephus, since he provides the location in his Antiquities of the Jews, written around 70 AD. We now quote Josephus. Moreover, the king built many ships in the Egyptian Bay of the Red Sea, in a certain place called Ezion Geber. It's now called Berenice, and it's not far from the city of Eloth. This country belonged formerly to the Jews and became useful for shipping from donations of Hiram, king of Tyre, for he sent a sufficient number of his men thither for pilots, and such were skillful in navigation, to whom Solomon gave this command, that they should go along with his own stewards to the land that was of old called Ophir, but now Aria Sherasinius, which belongs to India, to him to fetch gold. And when they had gathered four hundred talents together, they returned to the king again. So now we have fairly strong evidence of a journey to India by Solomon's fleet around 1000 BC. And we most likely know the Phoenicians went to future Britain much earlier. Doesn't this just make you think? Doesn't this just make you think that the world was a smaller place than we think? To conclude this episode, A Message to Kings, let's consider how Solomon could not have been Solomon without Hiram, king of Tyre. Hiram was God's instrument of blessing to bring Solomon the cedars of Lebanon and the craftsmen for his temple and palace. In addition, outrageous blessings came through Hiram as Solomon expanded his empire through peats and trade and naval expeditions. For this reason, and the additional fact that Solomon built fleets for both the Mediterranean and the Indian Ocean, and Solomon's gold imports exceeded our imagination for this time period. So knowing Israel has no naval history, I mean none in their history, seriously, rarely do we even read of anyone in the Old Testament even getting on a boat. All the more strange when Jonah boards that boat for Tarshish. And with the exception of this time in history, Israel and ocean-going vessels are extreme oddity. I mean, for Solomon to have two ocean-going fleets, it's like saying a Russian or a German discovered the New World in 1492. There's just a little history of this. Israel and sailing of the ocean. Israel and trading on the seas. Israel and sailing all the way to India. The only way for this to happen in only one generation could have been with the extreme help of another nation in addition to the blessing of God. I mean, extreme help. 
Hiram helped Solomon design, build ships, train crews, shared maps, and trading markets. Imagine during the age of sail when England ruled the waves and there appeared a suddenly rich neighbor in a German Baltic province, a small nation. This province traded with England, and England in turn gave away every single naval secret and even manned their vessels for them. It just seems obscure the level of trust and blessing Hiram gave to Solomon. You just don't build fleets overnight for three-year voyages. Later, Jehoshaphat and King Ahab will try to build up sailing vessels for similar voyages, and their vessels will find themselves at the bottom of the ocean and with no return. So you may ask, why did Hiram do it? My answer has to be God. It was the blessing of God to have a Hiram to help Solomon. Hiram was the key to God's blessing for Solomon. Just like Cyrus was the key to the return of the Jews to their land, like Pharaoh at the time of Joseph was a blessing to Israel, here's a Gentile and possibly most likely not a believer that was the source of the greatest worldly blessings for Solomon. Now I ask you a personal question. Do you know any Hirams? Who is your Hiram? Who have you befriended not for your own benefit, but for sheer reason that God loves them too? that you may be their friend. In turn, your friendship is a blessing to the world and the result of your relationship is increased relationships, responsibility, blessings, and material increase for those around you. Have you befriended a worldly king? Because of the love of God that is inside of you, because you haven't, you may be missing God's rich blessings that would flow out of him. Exotic treasures from a faraway land and new business ventures and discoveries that could change the world. It never speaks of King Hiram's conversion. In fact, we know it, we never know if Pharaoh or Cyrus or Hiram truly get saved. But we do know that God used them in great measure to fulfill his purpose. In our righteousness and strong Christian character, let's not us never forget that Hiram and the Pharaohs and the Cyruses need our friendships too. Let us become a people of honor that bless instead of curse and love instead of hate, even when those around us, even if they are cruel and horrible masters. In fact, we learn later that the Tyrians were Baal worshippers. They were heathens. What if your journey with God included a relationship with a heathen king that God wanted us to bless and he wanted to use to bless you? I think there is much to learn from Daniel in Babylon. Let us have honor like Daniel, who said to Nebuchadnezzar, the destroyer of his beloved Jerusalem, My Lord, my King, may you live forever. May us love all people just like Jesus commanded the poor and the rich, and bless and never curse, and befriend all who God calls us to befriend, and be his light, for we never know how God will choose to bless his servants who believe and cry out for wisdom. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Message to Kings. Feel free to visit the website, messagetokings.com, share the Facebook page, or if you want to chat, email us at messagetokings at gmail.com.